casting seeds of the kingdom, and they're sprouting up every time he works a work of power. Every time he speaks in parables, he's, he's having his kingdom come in the hearts of men and by reversing the curse of sin and death in the world. And so we've seen his authority in lots of different ways in the first four chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to continue on in the Gospel of Mark. And as we keep going, you're going to see him continue to establish his kingdom. But then there's going to be a sharp right-hand turn about halfway through the book where he's going to begin to describe what it looks like to be in the kingdom, what it looks like for us to be members of the kingdom, and then he's going to take us straight to the cross. So he's going to actually challenge us and exhort us and command us later on in this book that if any man would come after him, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after him. And every step from that point in the book of Mark is one headed towards the cross for Jesus. And as we look at that in the book of Mark, we need to know the hope that is found in a kingdom founded by this king who would lay down his life for his people. Thus far, we've seen Jesus demonstrate the authority of his kingdom in a lot of different ways. We've seen him demonstrate the authority of his word through his speaking. His ministry was a ministry of the word and the works of power were there to back up what he was saying about the kingdom. We've seen Jesus demonstrate the authority of his dominion over other kingdoms. He has dominion over the kingdom of Satan, of the kingdom of evil. He's already cast out evil spirits. And if he has dominion over those kingdoms, he has the dominion over every earthly kingdom as well. We've seen Jesus demonstrate the authority of his kingdom to do what only God can do, that Jesus being there is God in flesh and can do what only God can do. He can heal the leper. He can raise the dead. Only God can do that. We've seen Jesus demonstrate his authority to reverse the curse of sin and death, that not only does he deal with our sin, but he deals with the consequences of our sin as well. He he takes our sin and as its root cause and its consequences, and he deals with those things. We've seen Jesus demonstrate the authority that he has to make things new, to declare what is right, to declare what is good, to take old lives and make them new, not just old lives and make them better. We've seen Jesus demonstrate his authority over nature to bring peace And if he can bring peace to nature and reverse the curse that is in nature, he can definitely bring peace in our lives. And today we want to continue on to see the kingdom of God and demonstrate the authority of Jesus to not just have authority over demons and their plans to be able to deliver and to destroy. But he also has the power to restore the image of God into the lives of those who have been attacked by the kingdom of Satan. This is actually one of my favorite passages in all of the book of Mark because I think we too often miss the mercy of Jesus to the people around this demon-possessed man. We sometimes miss the mercy of Jesus because pigs are running down you know, a cliff and like going into the ocean and we're like, all that bacon, right? I think sometimes we miss the point because there's so much in this that's so visual that sometimes we can get caught up in each of the intricate visuals of this and we may miss the point of what's happening in this story. So I want to give us four truths about the kingdom that we see here in this story. So would you follow along in your copy of God's Word, Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. 
They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So just go ahead and get it in your mind. I want you to picture this as this is happening, okay? A man comes running out of the tombs. So there is a, a landing place for the boat. Jesus steps onto the beach. On one side, there's, uh, there's cliffs and some long sloping, like steep slopes down into the ocean. And actually in those cliffs, there are tombs. You can actually go there today and see it. And out of those tombs runs a man. It says that he lived among the tombs, making him unclean. And no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Just go ahead and underline that because that's going to be proven wrong. <laughs> Verse 5, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. You got this? You got this in your mind? Are you picturing what's happening? Because I just want you to see this picture. There's a man with scars, scabs, bleeding, naked, running out of the tombs, howling like a wolf. And he falls before Jesus and he lets out a scream. And in this moment, Jesus confronts the demons that are possessing this man and then removes those demons and places them in a whole bunch of pigs who run down a slope into the ocean and are drowned. This is wild stuff, right? This has not happened to me. These things are not normal, everyday Tuesday occurrences, right? This is wild stuff. This only happens when Jesus shows up. There's something astounding happening here when Jesus shows up on the shores. And this is what happens. The herdsmen fled, verse 14, and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Four truths about the kingdom that I want you to see today. Four truths that are incredibly important for us to understand because these truths are life-changing and these truths help us in our battle against the evil one, our battle against our true enemy. I want to remind you that our enemy is not flesh and blood here. The enemy of this man was not the townspeople who tried to put him in chains. The enemy of this man was not the 
the pigs or the tombs or even his own scars. The enemy of this man was the demon or the demons that were inside of him. They were the kingdom of Satan. We have a war that we are at with the kingdom of Satan. And here's the good news. The kingdom of God defeats the kingdom of Satan. We don't have to worry if that's going to happen. This story is meant to show us that the kingdom of Jesus prevails. I want you to have that hope today. But these are the things we learn. There are four basic truths about the kingdom. The first is this. The kingdom of God extends to Gentiles also. Here's the disciples and Jesus, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee. The, the Gezerines or the Gadarenes, depending on what translation you have, were on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. There, in that region, were where the Gentiles lived. Most of the people there would not call themselves Jews or the people of God. They were pagans. They were people who worshipped, many of them, the goddess Artemis. They worshipped um, they worshipped not the living God, but they worshipped idols. They were idol worshippers and false worshippers. And Jesus, in his great mercy, crosses over the Sea of Galilee and takes the gospel into their land. This is actually something that is prophesied throughout the Old Testament that this would happen. And I want to show you one in particular. Isaiah 65, 1 through 5 says this. It's a prophecy about the ministry of Jesus that would come in the future. It says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation that was not called by my name. That's to the Gentiles. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in the gardens and making offerings on bricks. Listen to the description he gives of these Gentiles who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me. Interesting. So here you have Jesus fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament to take the good news of the kingdom to people outside of the fold. So I want you to know the good news is that the kingdom extends to the Gentiles also. And that's really good news for us. Because what we're seeing here is the beginning of the gospel spread that would actually take the gospel to Powhatan, Virginia. Do you understand that? What we're seeing in Jesus and his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom here among the Gesserines is the beginning of the process of the gospel reaching you and reaching me. We should find hope here among this mainly Gentile people who are pagans, who are idol worshipers, and see that Jesus brings his kingdom among them also. So can Jesus' kingdom, if Jesus' kingdom can reach the pig herders with the demon-possessed guy, can Jesus' kingdom reach Powhatan? Yes, right? This is one of the major points of this wild story is to realize that if Jesus could do this, surely Jesus can work in my life and in your life and in our region and in our county and in our community. So the first truth I want you to see is that the kingdom extends, extends to Gentiles also. The second is that the kingdom of God is utterly opposed to the kingdom of Satan. Now that seems like it's just obvious, right? Kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. But I want you to see that they're opposed to one another in, in every conceivable way. That 
The kingdom of God brought in Jesus is opposed to the purposes, to the plans, to the structures, to everything that the kingdom of Satan is about. And not just in its demon-possessed forms, but in its society forms. Not just in the crazy guy who lives in the tombs, but in the things that are socially acceptable. The kingdom of God is in utter opposition to the kingdom of Satan. I want you to see two examples of the kingdom of Satan at work in this passage. The first is pretty obvious, right? There's a demon-possessed guy. If you missed that in the story, he's the guy who sits in the tombs all day and howls at night. Now, every neighborhood has a crazy guy, right? Right? Every neighborhood, you know where he lives. Say, kids, don't go by his house. If your ball goes into his yard, don't go get it. Right? Every neighborhood has a crazy guy. And I'm just going to tell you, it's my old adage. If you don't know who the crazy guy is in your neighborhood, you're probably the crazy guy in your neighborhood. Okay? Because every neighborhood has a crazy guy. This neighborhood's crazy guy is actually dangerous. This guy, they have put shackles and chains on, and they can't hold him. He simply breaks them. This guy is not just weird over there. He's naked and weird over there. This guy is yelling and screaming and howling at the moon at night and cutting himself. So what we have here is an obvious work of Satan. There's trauma in this man's life to the point that he's cutting himself to either try to get these demons out of him or trying to take his own life. There is terror in the neighborhood, terror in the city, terror in the community. Because what the kingdom of Satan is doing, what the enemy is doing here, is the enemy is attempting to destroy not just this man's life, but to destroy the image of God imprinted on this man. I want you to see what's happening. He is taken by possessing this man. He hasn't just tried to destroy this man's life. He's actually trying to remove the imprint of God upon this man's life. So he doesn't even look human anymore. So that he's he's actually trying to hurt himself. He's mutilating himself. He, he doesn't look like a human or sound like a human anymore. He sounds more like an animal. It's only because the imprint of God on this man's life is a work of God that this man hasn't taken his own life at this point. Because ultimately, the kingdom of Satan is seeking to destroy. So, remove the image of God from people and destroy. That's why we have the abortion industry. They're not made in the image of God. They're not even human. And if they're not human, destroying them is much easier, isn't it? How many other ways in our lives do we, do we give in to the kingdom of Satan and the way we treat people and the way we disrespect people and the way we dishonor people and the way we treat our wives, our husbands, our kids, our co-workers? That we would dishonor them in a way that would seek to almost remove that which is honorable about them. Here in this moment, 
this man has been so marred by the demonic that he wants death. The image of God is being removed from this man by the kingdom of Satan and only God can restore that. So that's pretty obvious where the kingdom of Satan is working in this story. But I want you to see the other way the kingdom of Satan is working because this may be a little more prevalent in our day. And it may be something that we're missing all along. Isn't it interesting at the end of this story? I want you to see the end of the story, what happens. First of all, remember these people are pagans. These people don't worship the living God. Instead, they're taking the image of God and they're replacing it with images of their own idols that they can worship. These people are more concerned with pigs than they are with people. These people are more concerned with their worldliness than they are with the man who is demon-possessed. They're more concerned with their safety and their security than they are with helping a person. They're more concerned with their good than they are with the good of another. And in this way, the kingdom of Satan is working as well. It's so obvious that it's the kingdom of Satan working in the people in the community because what happens when Jesus comes and he drives out the demons and the man who was naked and screaming like an animal is now sitting, clothed, and quiet. What happens? All of the people, right? This is what it says. So they all came to Jesus, verse 15, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right right mind, and they worshipped Jesus as the living God. They proclaimed his greatness, and they all changed their lives and gave up eating pork. Right? Is that what your translation says? No, they were afraid. Why? What was the reaction of the legion of demons and the man when Jesus showed up? Fear. What was the reaction of the people when they saw who Jesus was? Fear. When you come in contact with Jesus and you're driven to not a holy righteous fear, but a get away from me fear, that's the work of Satan. Literally, they would rather have the presence of a crazed naked man in the tombs yelling at night than they would the kingdom of heaven in Jesus. That's what they would rather have because it's easier to deal with. The worldliness of people is just as demonic as the possession of an individual by 2,000 or more demons. Let me say that again. The worldliness of people is just as demonic. It's just as satanic. It's just as much a part of the kingdom of Satan as a person who's possessed by over 2,000 demons. And so often we miss that part of the story. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Verse 17. And let me just tell you, if you want Jesus to go, all you have to do is ask. And because they were more concerned with their welfare with their pigs with their life and he upset their life and they couldn't deal with him as king they wanted him to leave when Jesus showed up on that shore he not only came in contact with 
and in opposition to the kingdom of Satan in the demon-possessed man. He came in contact with and in opposition to the entire culture of the people. Because the entire culture of the people was of the kingdom of Satan. This is why we go into Powhatan and to Barcelona and to Corn Island and around the world with the gospel. Because anyone who is not in the kingdom of heaven is in the kingdom of Satan. This is the way the Bible talks, that we were in the kingdom of sin and death. And we've been brought out of that by the great mercy of God into the kingdom of life and light, into the kingdom of his son. There are only two kingdoms at play here. There's no demon-possessed people who are in one kingdom of Satan and other people who are outside of Christ are in another. They're just flip sides of the same coin. And the cure? The kingdom seed of the gospel. The proclamation that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. The kingdom extends to Gentiles. The kingdom of God is utterly opposed to the kingdom of Satan. Third, the king has authority over an ultimate judgment of the kingdom of Satan. So we have these two warring kingdoms. Here's the good news. The king himself has the authority over the minions of the kingdom of Satan. He has the authority over them and he ultimately has the judgment of them in his hands. Look at what happens. So here's Jesus. He walks onto the shore and his man comes and falls on his face. So verse four says, no one had the strength to subdue him. All it took was Jesus walking onto the shore. And from afar, the demons saw who it was and they went and they fell on their face. No one could subdue him and Jesus didn't even have to speak. They tried chains and shackles. Jesus just showed up. And he was subdued. This is the strength and the power of our king. But he doesn't just subdue, he also delivers. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He sends the spirits into the pigs. Why the pigs? Well, the demons asked to go into the pigs because the pigs don't hold the image of God. And they led him right to destruction. The image of God that's imprinted on people is our, our haven, our, our protection. It's the special relationship we have with the Lord that now we commune with Him as worshipers of Him. And pigs? Pigs were destroyed. Pigs were destroyed here as they run down the cliff into the water as a picture, not just that pigs are unclean in that moment, but a picture of the coming judgment that would come upon those demons that went into those pigs. So let me give you the picture. Here's what Jesus was doing. Go into those pigs. Pigs run down into the ocean and they drown. Fast forward thousands of years. Casting all of them. Jesus is casting all of them. Satan and all of his demons into the lake of fire. We have a picture here that our God, our King, will ultimately judge every single minion of the kingdom of Satan. And that's good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? It's good news that he's not just going to say, I'm going to deliver you, but I'm also going to destroy them. They're not going to be able to get you again. When we are resting in eternity with Jesus, we will fear nothing.
because the enemy will be utterly defeated. And fourth and finally, not only is the kingdom extending to Gentiles here, not only is the kingdom of God utterly opposed to the kingdom of Satan, not only is the king the one who has the authority over and the ultimate judgment of the kingdom of Satan, but finally the kingdom is made up of those who have been shown great mercy. And in that great mercy, we are made new creatures. Look at what happens here. There's great mercy shown to this man. And this is good news for us, that every time the judgment is poured out on the kingdom of Satan, it results in mercy for us. Okay, As he pours out judgment on the kingdom of Satan, mercy is poured out on the man. So not only are all the unclean spirits sent into the pigs to their destruction, but the man is changed and transformed in an instant. He goes from the naked man howling to the man sitting and quiet. He goes from the man who was near to no one to the man who wants to go with Jesus. He's made into a new creature. He is a living example of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Literally, in some pigs going into the ocean, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He is clothed and seated in his right mind. What is Jesus doing here? What Jesus is doing here is he is demonstrating his mercy to take a man whose the image of God, the imprint of God on his life had so been marred that no one could recognize him as human. And he restores his humanity, which also restores the image of God upon this man. He makes him new. The mercy of God does not just say, I'm going to make you better. The mercy of God says, I'm going to make you new. He's a new person. The mercy of God is on display here. And as this mercy is on display, the people of the land can't handle the mercy of God being poured out on that man. And they want Jesus to leave. But the mercy of God has so changed this man that what does he do? Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Wouldn't you do that? If Jesus walked up to you and said, get out, go into those pigs, right? Delivers you from your life of isolation and pain and agony and terror. And all of a sudden you are sane and in your right mind. Would you not want to go with the man who had the power to do that? Yes. And what does Jesus say? No. No, you can't come with me. What is Jesus up to here? Why, why wouldn't Jesus say, yes, 13th disciple, come along. One of them is going to be bad at some day. You can join in. Right? Why isn't Jesus doing that? The answer is right here in the text. Because the mercy of God was also to be declared. The mercy of God is restored in the man. The mercy of God is on display for the people. And even though they reject the mercy of God, he leaves the man there to declare his mercy to everyone. Look at what he commissions the man with. Go home, verse 19, to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. It's easy to see the mercy of God than mercy of Jesus poured out on the demon-possessed man, isn't it? But did you miss the mercy of Jesus for the people who rejected him? He left a witness. He left a witness. 
He left a witness that would go and proclaim his mercy. Tell them how he has had mercy on you. And this is why we as the people of God have been given a commission to go and proclaim his mercy. We go and proclaim his kingdom. We are people, whether you were demon-possessed or you were just the most self-righteous person. You have been delivered from a domain of darkness and from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Jesus. Go and proclaim his mercy. And if you're here today and you're saying, I don't feel like I'm demon-possessed, but I'm not trusting Jesus. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. I'm telling you that you belong to a domain that is not the kingdom of heaven. And the only hope to move from one kingdom to another is that the king of all kings would move you himself. Call out to the king of all kings. The king who comes and says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Call out for mercy to him. He has mercy to give. And if you're here today and you you do know Christ and you've declared that I'm going to be called by His name. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to follow Him. He is my King. Then He has commissioned you to declare His mercy. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That is the purpose for every believer and that is the purpose of our church. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Alistair McGrath put it this way. He says, Within each of us exists the image of God, however disfigured and corrupted by sin it may presently be. Here's the good news. God is able to recover this image through grace as we are conformed to Christ. He can and He will if you call out to Him for mercy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would cry out to Jesus for mercy, that we would accept that mercy, receive that mercy, experience that mercy, because he is the Holy One. He is worthy to be worshipped, not by our faulty ideas, our faulty images, or even our idols that we've set up in our own hearts, but today we would be made holy by Jesus. We would be made clean by Jesus. We would be restored and renewed and live as new creatures. And as we do that, Lord, may we lift our voices to proclaim the mercy that is new every morning, the mercy that comes from a holy God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.